Hey, Sherry, it's so nice to be with you, really. I'm, I'm here with Sherry Mitchell, uh, who can tell us like a few sentences about who she is, but we're going to reflect together on the interview with uh, Julian Brave Noisecat that we just published on postcarbon.org in the What Could Possibly Go Right series. And um, Sherry, it's like, I just love to hear, hear from you. What stood out for you from that? interview? What sticks? Well, first of all, thank you so much for um, another opportunity to be in conversation with you and uh, uh, for the work that you're doing to put out these messages to the larger population for people to really be contemplating where we are at this time. I think that's, that's really important. Um, I think that the thing that stood out for me with the interview with Julian is how I am so deeply inspired by the brilliance of young native thinkers. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we have only had freedom of religion here in the United States since the mid 1970s. And so when you think about the fact that prior to that time, it was still illegal for us to practice our ceremonies, to speak our languages, to gather in large groups, um, what we've been able to restore and to provide to these young people in that amount of time is a, a true reflection, I think, of our, our, you talked about persistence, you know, our perseverance, our persistence, our um, groundedness, I think, as uh, Skijinawak people, as Indigenous peoples. And so uh, I just, uh, it always does my heart good when I see a young Native person who is um, using the gifts that they have in a way that is capable of capturing some essence of who we are as, as peoples and reflecting that back not only to the larger population, but also to Indigenous peoples, to other Indigenous youth. Um, you know, I'm, I'm twice his age, and I think about uh, when I was his age, I st actually started a youth program in my community um, to provide the young people that were under me the opportunity to learn the things that I had not been taught, uh, that I've had, I had had to go out on my own to seek. And so, uh, you know, I, I worked with the American Indian Institute and the Healing the Future program across the United States and also into Canada and parts of Central and South America as well. And, and to see the young people that are rising up today, um, it always, really touches my heart and uh, gives me incredible hope for where we're going to be able to go in the future. So. Yeah. Is, do you want to, without you added one story to Julian's, you know, which is your work when he were his age, do you want to add any other stories from what is, you see rising in the indigenous communities that is part of what could possibly go right, you know, and maybe invisible to, um, people are so caught up in the Western ways. Yeah, I mean, I, the thing that I, I think is is the story for me is not necessarily what's rising, but what's falling mm -hmm. back, back to earth. And uh, a lot of young Native people, um, about three generations right now that I see uh, across the spectrum, uh, they're letting go of all the trappings of the outside society that they thought they needed to be a part of in order to be able to be successful. 
they're let go, letting go of all of those colonial ideas of success and, and uh, markers of status. And they're returning to the earth. They're returning to the land. They're returning to that, um, that relationship with, uh, you know, the dirt beneath their feet and really living in a way that is low impact or no impact with all other living beings. They're going back to their ceremonies. They're going back to their languages. Um, they're, they're really seeking out their elders so that they can learn their traditions. And um, on average, I have about 20 young Native women that I'm talking to at a time um, who are, are on that path. And, um, you know, young Native men as well. I try to refer some of them to some of the male leaders that I know because they, you know, they have their own ceremonies. And so, uh, you know, and we have a really beautiful um, member of the Wabanaki community who is a two-spirit person. And, you know, they also are a leader in that regard. And in let's reclaim all of the identities that we held as Indigenous peoples and not just the identities that have been forced upon us. And so, you know, there's this real... There's this real beautiful settling into traditional um, relationships with within the generations that that I see uh, coming up right now, and so to me it's not really a rising because I see that rising as kind of a grasping, right? Uh, it's kind of like at this time of year. It's uh, let's settle back into uh, the nutrients of the soil and rest there while we're gaining what we need in order to go st grow strong right now we're we're in that cultivation of of nutrients that are that are going on there with the soil and so um i i'm really excited about what's going to grow out of that in the future and um i think that's that's something that to me is a sign of true progress and true success for us as um you know indigenous peoples and for us we you know we have that that way of life that um, that we call Skijinawebamosawagan, and it's it's all based on um, you know Pasilda and Dilnabamuk, our kinship networks, our recognition of our relatedness to one another, and so you know when I think about um, that weaving that goes on to create those kinship networks, Julian talked about uh, the rising up of the women. Our kinship networks being restored um, is is the work of the women. The women have been key to that um, process unfolding because it's the mothers and the grandmothers and the aunties who are at the heart of those kinship networks. Mm -hmm. They remind you to uh, make sure you're taking care of your brother or your sister. Make sure that you uh, look out for your grandma. You know, look out. Make sure that you uh, know that this person who you see, you know, once a once a year at a gathering is your your second cousin. You know, <laughs> and and, uh, and who is in your clan and who's not in your clan. So. You know, who can you be talking to at the powwow and who can't you be talking to at the powwow? Like, you know, that those aunties and grandmothers and mothers are the ones who hold that kinship network together. And so when we when we think about the unification of women and that it's the women coming together and reweaving those kinship networks and then, you know, providing that that solid cloth to the younger people that are coming up um, to tie them to this continuity of culture is really beautiful. And so, I, you know, I also was touched by his recognition of that, um, that awareness that it is the women who are the key to our, our healing, our reunification, um, to the mending of the wounds within our communities. All of those things um, are being facilitated right now across the globe by women. 
it's not just an indigenous community. So, you know, that's another thing that really stood out for me in this, this brilliant and beautiful young man's interview. Right. Yeah. Here we are two women doing the weave. Right. Um, yeah. I, you know, just one image that comes to me from, from what you said about the winter time mm. and, and how this question, what could possibly go right, of course, comes out of my mind. And I am a classic, brassy, you know, smart, smarty pants, white woman. <laughs> and so, and, you know, a social activist and an innovator and stuff like that. So, of course, I'm asking the question about rising. I'm not asking the question about let's let the dust settle. Let's let the dust settle of things that are falling apart. Let's let the nutrients that were used to build those walls, let's let them go back to the earth. And the, and the networks, the kinship networks, it made me think of all the activity that goes on beneath soil. Right. You know, and the, the networks of roots and um, microorganisms and uh, rhizomes and, and mycelium, you know, and, and people who study that, that is so alive and it's so difficult. This is like one of the things, what could possibly go right, is that people with an acculturated Western mind might be able to have even moments of that settling. So is there a question that you could offer or a, you know, something that people listening to this and impressed by Julian, something they can sort of like carry in their pocket and some, something simple going forward. Yeah, I do have a question, but I, I just want to also mention that, you know, the soil, when we think about gravel, we think about what's in the soil, we think about, you know, charcoal and carbon. Uh, it's also a purification, right? We use that to purify our water. You know, that, that letting all of that debris rest into the soil also purifies that the energy of that so that it can be used in the rebuilding of something new. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's just a really important time. We're at a really critical time right now where we have this incredible opportunity to evolve our humanity, not just our consciousness, right? But our humanity, we have to reclaim our humanity, our basic kindness and goodness. Uh, and so I, I just think that it's, it's a, it's a really good time for us to just, you know, settle in and allow that to happen. And, you know, the question that I've been posing to people for the last four years is this. Uh, if you're now uh, one of those people, because what I, what I talk a lot about and I'm, I'm writing about, you know, in my, or I have written about in my um, follow-up to Sacred Instructions is, uh, you know, everybody is living at a different time of day, meaning that some people have been awake for uh, 23 hours and 59 minutes. Some people have just woken up some people, their alarm's going to go off in five minutes. So, you know, not everybody that's awake has been awake for the same amount of time, right? And has seen as much of the day as somebody who's just waking up. And so for those people who in the last four years have had their moment of awakening where the alarm has gone off, and maybe the alarm just went off last week when there were Nazis openly marching uh, in the streets in Georgia, you know? Uh, look at that moment. What was it that catapulted you into uh, being awake? Mm -hmm. What was it that 
that touched you in a way that caused you to have the veil fall away and for you to see with more clarity uh, what was going on around you. Um, and to then contemplate the populations of people who have been suffering under those regimes um, for literally hundreds of years since the very beginning of this country. Um, and to contemplate those who have suffered before you in relation to the very issue that caused you to wake up. For some people, it's women's rights. For some people, it's racial violence. For others, it's economic inequity, um, you know, or feeling like your freedom is being reduced somehow by a, a tiny strip of cloth, right? Um, that you can put on and take off at will. Uh, and, and rather than looking, that at, looking at that as an act of, of you know, kindness, uh, it's looked at as an act of restriction to your to your freedom, uh, you know, and uh, it's hunting season here in Maine. So I think about, wow, you know, all of these hunters who have their full hunting gear on and they're out from before sunrise until sunset uh, for, you know, months at a time. And, and they complain that they have to go into a grocery store for 15 to 20 minutes with a tiny piece of cloth that covers a portion of their face. And it's just the mindset, right? The mindset of of that sense of entitlement that I I shall have no restriction on me, um, and then having moments of awakening for people along this whole spectrum of consciousness, where everybody has this different moment of of rising up to uh, you know this wakefulness of the reality, whatever it was that kept you from waking up until that moment. And so, you know, you, you had lived your whole life in a world where these things were going on all around you and you had not been able to see them until that moment of awakening. So what was it up until that moment that prevented you from waking up? Mm -hmm. Because that's where our work exists. Whatever obstructs us from being able to see clearly what's going on the harm, the realities, the injustice, the inequities for so many populations of people. That is where the juicy nugget of our work exists. That's the tension point where uh, the friction is created that causes movement. And I just think that if people could really look at that, they'd really gain an understanding of how we have been trained and conditioned to see one another and to not see one another. Um, for so long, for millennia, really, we've been trained and conditioned to, um, you know, see each other in a specific way or to not see one another at all. So. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What was happening right before I woke up and what, what was the alarm clock and after which I could not not see. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, those moments of awakening eviction points, right? Exactly. Exactly. They, they evict you from your former life. You can never exactly. go back to the person you were the moment before. But what was it that enabled you to be the person you were that moment before? What was it that covered your eyes? What was it that, that closed your ears to the cries of so many others? Um, really looking at what was it that was the obstacle. Right. To that moment of awakening because in that you will find the heart of your work. And it's, you know, really getting into that in real depth and breadth. 
to have a real full understanding about how your mind has been hacked and how you have been influenced. Exactly. Thank you so, so much. You're welcome, my friend. I, I, I you know, when you start talking, I, I just forget about time. You know, I just like, I could just sit here for hours and I'm sure <laughs> listeners could do that too, but we're going to be kind to them because they've, they've set aside this little time to be with us. Yeah. Yeah, so wise.